sitting down if you want. You don't have to. It's completely up to you. Uh, but St. Jack's allows that. So, uh, so glad that you're with us. Uh, the reason why we have speakers is because we also have uh, a church going on downstairs and a church going on uh, in the next room. So three simultaneous churches happening at the same time. Uh, it's amazing. It's like a preach-off. So it's, uh, it's really exciting. And, uh, and they're going to they're gonna give me background music that will inspire me uh, throughout the morning in my points. So I've always dreamed of preaching with background music, and I finally get it. So, so glad that you're with us today. Uh, this is very different for us, isn't it? I'm used to being in a dark theater where I can't really see anyone. I'm like, why can't I see people? It's because I don't have my glasses on. Um, there we go. Uh, where we can't, I can't really see anyone because the lights are so bright, and now we get to like make eye contact with you all, and that's slightly creepy maybe for you, but like for me, it's good that I can see you all, and that's great. So uh, let me just give a few announcements, and then we'll get going with what we're doing this morning. So I want to say hello to uh, West Island and to South Shore. So they are with us on the live stream, uh, gathering with about 25 people. So welcome, good morning, so glad you're with us. You probably don't have a Brazilian church underneath you, but we do, so we're one up on you all. Um, So glad that you're with us. Good morning, welcome. We've been waiting for you, Deborah. Now we can start that Deborah's here. It's so good. So glad. Um, so I want to say good morning to the kids. Uh, good morning. I mean, they're like mini adults, I know, but I'm so glad that you're with us. And, um, and for those of you watching in live stream, uh, so glad that you are with us. Anyone that's visiting, if you want information, you can email engage at church21.ca. And that will get you uh, information about where we'll be gathering because we might not be gathering here next week at this time. Everything is really up in the air. Uh, that's kind of our life every week. We figure out on Monday or Tuesday what we're doing and what limitations are and where we can meet. And so it's slightly stressful. If it's stressful for you, just know there are other people that are carrying more stress uh, with these decisions. But, um, but we want to keep you in the loop. So uh, don't hesitate to email if you have a question or a message on Facebook. Um, or whatever. Uh, Wednesday morning at 7 a.m., we have a prayer time. I really want to encourage you to be there uh, if you're able. I know some of you start school or you're at work or whatever, but um, it's been amazing to get to pray at 7 a.m. I think there's 10 to 12 uh, devices that are connected now, um, and we're doing it all on Zoom. So, like, we get to see one another, we get to be praying, but we're praying that the Lord would really be- bring. Um, you know, this virus of revival to our city, uh, when in moments where people are extremely fearful that he would unveil and reveal himself uh, to people at this time. So I'd invite, invite you to be praying with us Wednesday morning. Uh, weekly email is where you'll find the link for that. Uh, and here's what to expect this morning. Uh, I'm going to do a scripture reading, then a sermon, and then we're going to have a testimony. Catherine is going to share uh, something with us. Uh, then I'm going to invite uh, us to share and participate. So we are trying to make a, like, a hard turn into much more active participation uh, with everyone here. I think it went really, really well at our first gathering. Uh, Ryan, Jordan, myself, Nehemiah, we were all here for the first one. And lots of people were sharing about what was going on. It was his choice. He wanted to stay again. I didn't force him to stay. He wanted to. It was amazing. Um, so, um, and then what we'll get to do is we'll get to take communion. Uh, we've 
safe sanitize all that. Uh, there are rice crackers in individual bags with little shots of grape Kool-Aid that has way too much sugar than you need and a little shot of grape Kool-Aid. But uh, we get to take communion. And for some people, this is like the first time we've done this in months and months and months. So what's that? Yeah, it is exciting. It is exciting. Are you just going to chirp at me all morning? <laughs> all right. Uh, well, let me, let me read Exodus uh, 34 verse 6 and 7 to us. Exodus, we, we believe in the Bible. We love the Bible. We believe that God speaks to us through the Bible and, um, and through His Spirit. And so Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7 is this whole series, Who is God, uh, is based on these two verses. So let me read that for us. The Lord passed in front of Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the father's iniquity on the children and the grandchildren to the third and the fourth generation. So let me pray, and I'll I'll be praying that we would encounter uh, the Lord this morning. By the way, if people show up, if you could just like grab one of those chairs and like throw it away from you, if one of these spots, and just point them to where they should be going. We can all act like ushers this morning. That'd be great. Let me pray. God, I, Yahweh, our friend, I want to pray that, that you would help us to encounter you this morning. It feels so funny to be in such a small group in a foreign place to where we usually are, uh, or maybe we're at home, or maybe we're, we're watching live with other people on a screen, and it just feels so strange. And yet you are the God that enters into these strange moments and you make unique things happen. You speak to us regardless of of where we are or what we're going through or what we've done. Uh, You are a God that transcends uh, time and space and and you know each one of our hearts and exactly what we're going through in this moment. So we pray that you would help us to encounter you this morning. Uh, help Help us understand and respond to who you really are. So we love you and we need you for everything. Amen. All right, so we're in this series called Who is God? This is week number three. So I'll ask the question, so far, who is God? It's not fair. You came to the first one, right? Yeah, yeah, I get it. I'm just joking. Yahweh, that's right. So, um, and what did we learn about Yahweh the first week? He's our what? Uh, Close. He's our friend, that's right. That he's not this, this foreign, distant deity that, that stays away from us, but yet he's very close to us where he's our friend. What did we learn about him last week? Little man, keep going. I'll just answer it. Last week we learned that he's the God of gods right? He's the king of all the gods. All the other gods are false gods, and he's the only true and living one. But this morning, we're going to start to actually look at his attributes. We're going to unpack his character. Who is he? Because this is what people really wanted to know. Um, the, The context of this is that there's a group of former slaves who have just been released out of slavery in Egypt. The Israelite people have just been freed from slavery, and they're, they're working and living and breathing in this new context, and they have this, this God who is saying that, I'm going to be your God. You're going to worship me. And if you're like me, you're asking the question, but who, what are you like? Who are you really? And so that's what he unpacks for us here in Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7. So we're going to look at two words this morning. 
And it's this reality that God says to Moses that I am merciful and gracious. I am merciful and I'm gracious. Okay, what two words are they? All right, I'm just checking that you're with me because I saw the door open and some of you are like, squirrel, like what's, what's going on? Merciful and gracious. Now this is a word pair. They're meant to help understand the other words. So we use words like old and wise or young and stupid or able and willing. And the two are supposed to help unpack the, the other, right? That you're wise because you're old and you're able because you're willing, whatever. We do this all the time. Well, this is what God does with himself. This is how God describes himself to be. And these, these words come from two Hebrew words, all right? We're going to do a little bit of Hebrew this morning. I'm not a Hebrew scholar by any means, okay? I don't pretend to be, but I'm dangerous enough with Hebrew because I have all the tools to understand Hebrew. And the Old Testament was almost completely written in Hebrew, except a few um, different portions. So the two Hebrew words that I want to look at this morning, actually put into this word pair, are raham wihanan, raham wihanan. Okay, and both of these words are extremely helpful in understanding who Yahweh really is. So let me start with the first one, Raham. We don't usually do this. We don't usually explore words, so it's fun to do this morning. Raham is a, a feeling word. Our culture loves feeling the feelings. We feel like something is authentic when we feel like it's authentic, right? So this word that describes God is actually a feeling word. And the word comes from the root word, which means female's womb. Okay, one of our kids still struggles to say the word room. So when we tell her to go to her room, she's like, I'm not going to my womb. I'm like, no, you're not going to the womb. You're going to your room. She's like, that's what I said. I'm like, no, you didn't. But the word comes from female womb, which carries with it the idea that Yahweh, this God, is one that cares about his people like a mother cares for her infant. Now, I've watched all four of my kids being born, and I watched this, this gaze of my wife with these little people. Now, I love my kids. I still love my kids. They're great. But the way that my wife, when they were infants, loved them and cared for them and ached for them and hurt for them, when they would cry and scream, I'm like, no, no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Like, go back to sleep. She's like, no, I can't. Like, it, it hurts inside. Like, things are moving. And I'm like, oh, you have a different attachment to these kids than I have. And so God gives us this picture of you know how moms care about their infants? Well, that's how I care about my people. That ache, that feeling inside is how I feel about my people. And not just a little bit of the time, or not just when they're being good boys and girls, but all the time. I mean, this is outstanding. That God is, is rushing toward his people like a mom loves her infant. And this never stops. It's like that tap never gets plugged. There's no cork. There's no way to shut off that fountain. That this is how God is all the time. And it should overwhelm us a little bit. It should overwhelm us to know that God loves us with that intense type of love. And we can, we can see when God reveals himself in this way that God is certainly not a God that's made in our image. Right? Because I like to think that once in a while I'm merciful, but I don't wake up like flowing with mercy. Yesterday, uh, my youngest daughter, Stella, woke me up from a nap. I was on the couch, like taking a 20-minute snooze, and she came up and yelled at me. And my first thing that I yelled back, like I just woke up yelling. I'm like, don't talk to me! You know, she like startled me so bad out of this dream. And like she gets all spooked and whatever. 
But when, if God were to take a 20-minute nap, which he doesn't, but if he were, when he wakes up, it would be mercy that's rushing after the daughter that just woke him up. That God longs to be merciful toward us. He feels like it. He's as authentic as you possibly can be. And it doesn't matter what you do. You can't change him. So we often think, oh, I haven't done this, or I did this the wrong way, or I should have done this, or I haven't talked to God in a while, or I haven't read, or I haven't said, I didn't say things the right way, maybe. And we think that that alters his perception um, of how he's going to run toward us. But it doesn't, right? That God is full of mercy. God is full of compassion. And he always feels this way toward you. Right? That's destabilizing a little bit, that he always feels this way, that you can't divert him from that path. Have you ever gone bowling, and maybe you're not good at bowling, and you, you put it in the, the gutter? When that ball goes in the gutter, like it's just going. You can't get it out of the gutter again, unless it's like right at the end. I, I get it, I'm losing this illustration in the moment, but just track with me. You get it in the gutter, it's going to stay in the gutter. Right? And God's his mercy toward us, what he feels toward us is like that ball in the gutter. Like it's coming for you. There's nothing that's going to remove it. But what does he do? Because it's one thing to feel something. Be like, ah, oh, I feel such compassion for this person. I, I, I wish that I could do something to help. I feel the feelings. Well, raham is, is a feeling word, but then hanan is an action word. So God feels compassion and mercy toward us, and then he acts accordingly. So he demonstrates the fact that he's merciful and feels merciful toward us by being gracious to us. So think about Christmas. I love presents. I really do. I absolutely love Christmas presents. But not for me, necessarily. Though Those are nice, too. I love having kids. And I love that so much time goes into what we're going to get for them and how we're going to wrap them and what they're going to say when they open it. Because we have compassion and mercy towards our kids and we feel that and then we put it into action by giving them gifts. And so as they're opening it up, this is our, our raham coming out through our hanan, right? We're giving gifts because of who we are. And God is just like that. He demonstrates his mercy through giving us grace and favor. It's like a man who, who says to a woman, I love you, and not only do I love you, but I, I like it so much I'm going to put a ring on it, right? That, 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 that man who's saying, I'm not just going to say with words what I feel, but I'm going to commit to you completely. This is what God does. This is why God uses covenant language all throughout the Bible. And so as we read the Old Testament, which is about two-thirds of the Bible, we see Yahweh protecting and providing for the vulnerable. We see him caring for the widow. We see him caring for the orphan. We see him caring about the disadvantaged, right? This is where you really get to God's heart. Those who have nothing and no one, that's who Yahweh really wants to care about. Those who are down and out, he's attracted to them to show them grace and favor. And we see these two, Raham and Hanan, come together beautifully in the story of the Exodus, which we rehearsed a few weeks ago. You can go back and listen to the podcast if you want to. I won't tell the whole story. But essentially, the, the, the Egyptians were enslaving the Israelite people, and God hears their distress, feels compassion toward them, and then what does he do? Leave them there? Like, oh, I wish I could do something about it. 
No, he feels compassion and mercy toward them, and he comes in with a strong hand, and he delivers his people up out of slavery. He does something about it. This is where Raham and Hanun come together. So when he's unveiling himself to be this, the people of God would say, oh yeah, we've seen you do that. We know you as this type of God. This isn't foreign to us. And so this morning, God looks at you. Now this is staggering depending on where we're coming from. But God looks at you this morning with compassion and mercy. He feels compassion and mercy. And for so many of us, we're like, yeah, but. No, there's no yeah, buts. That's what God feels toward his people. Mercy. Mom with the infant. God is feeling that toward you today. That God is not this cold, distant being. He is a feeler. He has feelings. This is why we talk about the person of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That God has feelings. And his actions toward us are based on him, not on you. So if God is showing you mercy, it's not because you are the most amazing uh, singer, you're the best accountant, you're the best student, you're the best son or daughter. That's not it. He's giving you mercy and grace because of who he is. That he is Raham and Hanan. And so this morning, he is not disgusted by you. This morning, he is not embarrassed with you. This morning, he is not ashamed to call you his son or daughter. This morning, he is not looking for a way to disassociate with you. No, do you know what he's looking to do? He wants to give you more of him so that you and I are satisfied with him alone. And it seems like the worse off we are, the more he runs after us to give us more of him so that we are more satisfied with him and and less satisfied with anything else. So the Old Testament uses this pair, this Raham and Hanun, only in relation to God. So let me show you that in two different accounts. There's a lot of different ones we could do. But let me show you Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 31 He, being God, will not leave you, destroy you, or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them by oath, because the Lord your God is a compassionate God. This is going to have to be reminded, or the people are going to have to be reminded of this over and over and over throughout the Old Testament, because they do something dumb, and then they think, oh, God's all done with us. God won't want anything to do with us. And they need that reminder of, no, 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 do you remember who God is? That God is a compassionate, merciful, gracious God. And then Jonah, chapter 4, verse 2. Do you know the story of Jonah? Yeah, many people do. Um, But Jonah was a prophet, and Jonah was told to go to this place called Nineveh and tell these people what God was going to do to them. And he said, "Er, not going to Nineveh. So he finds a a ship, and he goes trying to get to Tarshish, which is probably modern-day Spain. And along the way, this big storm happens, and the sailors are like, we don't know what to do. And Jonah says, I'm the reason. Uh, I'm trying to run away from God. Throw me off the boat, and everything will be okay. So they throw him off the boat, and then a big fish comes. The story's crazy. You have to read it. Um, And a big fish comes and swallows him up. And when he's inside of this big fish, he realizes, oh, you are a great God. I will do whatever you want. And so... God has the fish spit him up onto land, and then he says, all right, I'll go to Nineveh. And so he goes to Nineveh, and he preaches the worst sermon ever. His sermon is either five or eight words in Hebrew. I don't remember. But basically, it's God is going to kill you. 
He walks around all of Nineveh with a little like sign, like God is going to kill you. And he preaches all day long. And do you know what happens? Imagine doing that in Montreal, what would happen, right? Not good things probably. As long as you have a mask on, you might be okay. But if you don't, not good things. Um, but he, he marches around the city and the people believe him. And the people are like, oh, let's fast. Let's, let's pray to this God. Let's, let's see if we can change something, right? They receive these words. And here's what Jonah says after this like little mini revival breaks out in that city. He prayed to the Lord. Now you would think you would be saying, wow, you're amazing. It's so incredible that you brought this to these type of people. But he says this, please, Lord. Isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He says, dang it, Lord. I knew that you were going to bring revival. I knew that you were going to be gracious and compassionate to these people who are wicked and enemies of us. I knew that you were like this. Now let me die because I don't want to live in a world where you're that type of God to these people. And God's like, Jonah, you forgot. You forgot that you were once an enemy of me. And I came and was gracious and compassionate to you. Why wouldn't I be that way to the people of Nineveh as well? It's so easy for us to get caught in that Jonah trap, isn't it? We forget that we were once enemies of God. We forget that, that our rebellion like, put us at odds with God forever. And that God was gracious and merciful toward us. It's so easy to live out of this Jonah complex. But here's the thing, and Jonah experienced it. Mercy and grace are offensive. Mercy and grace really are offensive. Moses was the guy who led the Egyptian, or who led Israel out of Egypt. But was Moses like this super good guy? What did he do? He what? Yeah, he was a murderer, right? How many of you are like, hey, we're trying to find a new pastor, and you're looking through resumes, and you're like, oh, he's a murderer. Not that bad. We'll put in the maybe category. It's like, no, you don't want a murderer leading your people. And God's like, oh yeah, I'll take the murderer. Like, he'll be the one that leads all my people. The murderer shepherd. That's offensive. Jacob. Jacob was renamed Israel. So when we talk about Israel, it was Jacob who was renamed this and all his people. Jacob was a liar, a manipulator, a deceiver. God's like, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm for them. Like, I'm going to show my grace and compassion and mercy to people like Jacob. There was a woman that was caught in adultery, and they brought her out to be stoned. And what does Jesus do? He says, okay, the first one to throw a stone, just make sure you're the one without sin. Right? First one with no sin, go ahead, chuck the stone. And everyone walked away. And Jesus said, where did they all go? No one condemned you? And she said, no one. He says, okay, well, I don't condemn you either. Just go sin no more. I mean, that's offensive, especially if you work really hard to be a good religious boy or girl. You've done all the right things and haven't done the bad things. And to find out that this adulterer just gets let off? How does this happen? It's offensive. And then there's a story about a prodigal son. And we love the story of the prodigal son, but I want you for a moment to put yourself in, in the shoes of the older brother. All right, so let me tell you this. This story comes from Luke 15. 
uh, there was a really rich dad, very wealthy. Um, that meant that he had lots of homes and flocks and land and all that. You didn't have like a big bank account in that day where you could go make a withdrawal. So he has two sons. Youngest son comes to him one day and says, Dad, I want my stuff. I want my inheritance. And that's like saying, I wish you were dead. I just want your stuff. I don't care about you. Don't care about the relationship. I just want your stuff. And what does the dad do? He gives it to him. That means that he would have had to sell land, let people go. Uh, He would have had to sell flocks. He would have had to do a whole host of things. And then he gave it to his son. A third. A third of all he owned would have gone to this son. And then he watched him walk away. Watched him walk away. And the son goes and squanders everything. Blows it on big parties, buys tons of stuff, and loses everything he has. And then he gets a part-time job feeding pigs. And he's looking at the food that the pigs are eating, and he's wishing that he had the same food. And like, it dawns on him, my dad is still rich. What if I went back to my dad and I created this whole elaborate plan of saying, I'm so sorry, dad. Could you just treat me like a servant? I'll just, I just want to be here for food. I just don't want to live where I'm wishing I had pig food, basically. So he goes back home and he's getting ready to give his dad the speech. I'm so sorry. I'm a bad son, blah, blah, blah. And his dad sees him in the distance and starts running at him. Now, if you're that son, what are you thinking? Yeah, like I'm thinking like, oh man, I'm going to get like whacked or something. Like just duck down. But instead, he runs at him and he embraces him. He embraces him. You wasted all of my resources. I don't care. You are my son. And look what, look what he says in Luke chapter 15. Luke 15 verses uh, 22 to 24. The father told his servants... Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. But what are you feeling if you're the older brother? You stayed home and you worked. You didn't leave. You've been working hard for your dad's resources. And actually, this party, this fattened calf, would have belonged to the the inheritance of the older son. So the older son is actually losing by the younger son returning. What are you thinking? Why didn't I get a party? You just leave and squander everything and dad's going to welcome you back? Mercy and grace are offensive. To our, our human psyche, our, our human way of being. And yet this is how God rolls. He always works with mercy and with grace. Grace is shocking to us when we see it happening. It bothers us if we're honest. Especially when we're not the object of it. You see other people getting something that you wish that you had, right? And jealousy rises up. It's like, but what about the things you have? Those are good things. We don't need to long for these other things. Well, here's the good news that we have. There's a father, this God, Yahweh, full of of mercy and grace. This father doesn't wait for prodigals to come to him. He sends his son, Jesus, for them. 
He sends his son Jesus to come after prodigals like you and I. And as Jesus came, he came to distribute the goods of the Father. He came to distribute the mercy and the grace of the Father to us. And he came, the, the big way that he showed this Raham and Hanan in the Old Testament was in the Exodus. Well, the big way he shows it now is through the cross and the resurrection. That Jesus comes, he doesn't just say, Deborah, I love you, I'm, I'm so crazy about you, Nehemiah, I'm so for you, and Ryan, I love you. He doesn't just say that, he says, now I'm going to show you how much I love you. And Jesus takes all of our guilt, and he goes to the cross to show us that it's not just about my feelings toward you, it's about my action that's showing you that this is how I feel about you. That Jesus takes all of our rebellion onto himself on the cross, and this exchange happens where Jesus takes on our rebellion and we get his righteousness if we'll receive it. And that's good news for us. And because of the cross and the resurrection that Jesus is alive, we can now be adopted. So you're brought into the family. You return home and the Father's running at you to embrace you and bring you in and put the ring on your finger and put the, um, put the robe on you and to say, my son or daughter who is dead is now alive. Let's celebrate. Jesus talks about there being celebrations in the heavenly realms when a person turns from, from being anti-God to, to toward God, when they understand who Jesus really is, that heaven celebrates that reality. And God is very pleased with us. You have to hear this. God is very pleased with us. Not because we do things that are always pleasing to him, but because when God looks at us, he looks at us through the lens of Jesus, right? Jordan got like an infrared lens or something so that he can see the world differently through the camera. And when God looks at us, he looks at us through the lens of Jesus. He says, ah, my righteous son, my righteous daughter, and I'm so committed to you, my righteous son and my righteous daughter, that I'm going to make you just like my son, Jesus, that he is pleased with us. Um, a few years ago, I went to, it was eight years ago, a few. As you get older, a few becomes longer now. Um, but I went to Toronto, and I went to be a part of this teaching um, thing, and it was around the teaching of the Holy Spirit. I was very uncomfortable the whole time I was there, honestly, um, because this was a whole new world to me. And uh, anyway, the end of this teaching conference time had come, and I was there all by myself, and I'm standing by myself, and we're singing songs, and I have my eyes closed. We could sing back then. Maybe we'll be able to sing again one day. But um, I have my eyes closed, and this guy comes up and puts his hand on me, because we could touch people back then. And he puts his hand on me, and he says, uh, hey, can I pray for you? I said, yeah, okay, sure. And he says, hey, I see this. And I'm like, I don't, I don't see that. Like, I, I was very uncomfortable with any sort of like vision or image or anything like that. Um, so he said, I see this image of, of you as, as a younger boy. And your father in heaven is coming and picking you up and putting you on his lap. And here's the words he has to say to you. I am so pleased with you. And that internally just shattered me. Because I realized that I, I had something to prove in that moment. Like I was church planting. We had just begun our church plant. And like, dang it, we were going to be the way that Montreal was going to be reached. And we were going to do this and we were going to do that. And it's like deep down, I was longing for God to approve of me based on my actions. But what this word was spoken over me was, you're already approved of. Relax. And that was so freeing to me. 
And that was such a timely word eight years ago. Because now, I, we don't, I mean, sometimes for sure, but the majority of time is like working out of enjoyment of God. Because I understand that I've been adopted, I've truly been brought in, and I've been approved of by him. And you this morning get that same image, that the Father is delighted to bring you up on his lap and to say, I love you. Like, I'm merciful toward you, and I'm going to be gracious to you, and I approve of you in Jesus. So, let's apply. Let's apply this. And then we're going to, I'm going to ask Catherine to come up. Um, number one, God is remaking you to be like Jesus. And we are actually invited into this process. Let me read Hebrews 4, verse 16. Hebrews 4, verse 16. I feel like I need to keep repeating myself because anytime I stop talking, I hear like voices coming from other places. So Hebrews 4.16. All right, uh, it says this. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace. The throne of grace is, is the place where God sits and resides. Let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in times of need. That we're invited into this process that God is saying, I have everything you need here. Just come and get it. Come and get it. Come spend time with me. Come ask me. Come devour me. Come have my stuff. Have my mercy. I want to give it to you. And yet so many of us think of prayers like, oh, I did my 15-minute thing. Check mark. Oh, yeah, that's right. I should pray. That's a good thing to do. Or like things get really bad, so we pray. But prayer is supposed to be enjoyment of him and being in the presence of the one who wants to give mercy and grace all the time. It says in times of need, but if we're honest, we're needy all the time. We're more needy than we think we are. We think all our friends are needy, but you're really the needy one. And there's mercy and there's grace for us in that moment. But it's not just so we can like swim around in mercy and grace and and bathe in that. We're given mercy and grace not just for ourselves, but to go and distribute these things. Uh, I worked a job for one day. It was a horrible job. I would never want to do it. Um, Where basically you go to all these businesses selling like these products that no one really needs and yet you had to go back to the main the main warehouse thing get more product and then go on the road and like knock on people's doors and I'm like people really buy this stuff they're like oh all the time like man just couldn't get behind it but the idea is that when you run out of stuff you go back and get more and you just keep bringing it out and that's where the God is he's saying if you think you run out of mercy and grace come back and get more but by the way I have the warehouse following you my throne is following you everywhere. So when you need to give out mercy and grace to other people, it's, it's right there. I have it for them in that moment. So we're not just given mercy and grace for us to enjoy, but we're given it to, to explain and show to other people as well. So who? And I have three type of people that we're supposed to show mercy to. Number one are those in need. Those in need. 1 John three seventeen says this. Isn't this fun? This is uh, one of the problems when you use real Bibles. Sometimes pages get stuck together. Yeah, it's probably not the best time, which I just did. Just don't, uh, don't touch these fingers. Okay, if anyone has this world's goods, okay, if anyone has food or a place to live or um, anything like that, if anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him or her? 
It's like if you have food in your cupboards and, and you know someone in, in our church is struggling to eat and you're like, oh, well, be blessed. Like, I'll pray for you. It's like, does God's love really reside in you? That you can't meet that need? Now, if you come with like a $10 million mortgage and you're like, hey, I need help. And I'm like, well, let me scrape together my $31. No, don't have, I can't help you, right? But if you can help someone, if you can help someone and you don't, we just have to ask the question like, have I gone back to the warehouse for mercy and grace in a while? Because you might be trying to live out the Christian life on your own. You've unplugged from mercy and grace a long time ago and you're just trying to make these things appear on your own. But we're supposed to show mercy to those who are in need. Secondly, we're supposed to show mercy to those who are like you. There's a story about a king who had a servant and the servant owed this king millions of dollars. This is found in Matthew 18, verse 21 to 35. This, this servant owed millions of dollars and he comes to the king and he says, please, will you forgive me this debt? And the king says, sure, done, you're released. Now that, that's a cause for celebration. So the servant leaves the presence of the king, goes back to his life, and that servant has a servant. And that, the servant of the servant, he owed the guy three months' salary. And so the servant who has just released millions of dollars of debt, he should have like lots of mercy moving in and be like, you know what, brother? I was just forgiven millions of dollars of debt. Let me forgive you too. But do you know what he does? He starts choking him. And he says, I'm going to put you in jail until you, until you can pay off every last penny. He doesn't get it. The mercy he experienced didn't transfer over. And then look at what the king says in Matthew chapter 18, verses 32 to 33. Matthew 18, 32 to 33. The king says this. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master, oh, sorry, 32. Then after he summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Now, maybe people don't owe you money, but maybe people are in, are in debt to you for something else. Like they did something and you're like, oh, I can't forgive them. I'll never forgive them for that but you've forgotten. And I get it. Forgiveness is hard. Reconciliation is hard. But if you're saying never, that will never happen, then you've forgotten of what you've been forgiven. So this mercy we receive is meant to be transferred over to people as well. Gracious is to be able to think the best of people at times. When they respond to you negatively, it's being able to be compassionate and enter into their circumstances. Maybe they're having a horrific day. Who knows what they're coming into this situation with? Maybe they just got a bad diagnosis. Maybe they didn't get any sleep. Maybe they have little kids and they'll never sleep again. Like, who knows? But we're compassionate towards people. And then the last group is we leave the throne filled with the Spirit to show mercy to those who are very much unlike us. Very much unlike us. So Jesus tells a story of a good Samaritan. Are you familiar with the story? Um, this, this guy is trying to, to go between two places. He gets beat up by robbers. All his stuff gets taken. But good news, a religious leader was coming by. Surely he was going to take care of the person who was beat up. And when the first religious leader arrived, he sees the person and he went right around him. Didn't pay attention. 
that's okay, because the second religious leader, maybe he was having a bad day. Second religious leader came by, sees the person, he crosses the street to get around having to care for this guy. But then the third person is like this dirty Samaritan comes along. Now, the reason why I say that is because that's what it it would have sounded like in Jesus' day. The Samaritans were seen as half-breeds by the people of Israel. They were seen as like nothing gross, like they can't can't ever be good. And so Jesus tells the story, well, a Samaritan came along and he saw this person and he picked them up and bandaged them and put them on his donkey and brought them to a place where they would be made better and he paid for all of that. And then Jesus says, "Who's, who's the real neighbor? Or really, who's the one that's showing mercy? And all these religious leaders probably standing there listening like this at that point are saying, well, the third one. Jesus, I bet, was like, you mean the Samaritan? The one that you don't want to put in that place? He says, yeah, yeah, go, go be merciful like that. Go be merciful like that. Go be merciful to people who are unlike you. What's that group in your mind that you're like, there's no way I could ever love them? When I think about the states, you know, right now, that's a pretty big thing. Democrat, Republican, like no Republican could ever be good or no Democrat could ever be good or no French or no English or no Maple Leafs fan or no Habs fan or whatever the thing is that we look at this other person that I could never care for them in this way. And God says, then you miss how I care for people. Because God only cares for people who are unlike him in that area of righteousness. He only gives mercy and grace to his enemies and brings them into his family. And so the Spirit has placed us as a church in Montreal, not just to bask in the mercy and grace of God for ourselves, but to then be distributors so that we can give it away. God wants other people to know who he is through you. Through you. Not through our church necessarily, but through you as he's sending you out into your normal everyday things as distributors of mercy who get to return to the warehouse, fill up with the goods of our Father so that everywhere you go, you could be knocking on people's hearts saying, there's mercy and grace here if you're looking for that. So how are you doing this? How are you doing this? What I want to do is invite Catherine to come up now. Um, and just ask her a few questions. If you're live streaming now, this is the time. Uh, well, if you're live streaming with us, keep going. If you're at one of the sites, this is the time where you would shut this off. But we'll keep the live stream going for people who are at home. Um, so I will move over here and I have a few questions for you. This is Catherine. You prefer Catherine Paris, Paris or Paris? Paris. Um, and wife of Michelle and Eva and Sarah, mom. Great family. I've really enjoyed getting to know you guys. So I have a few questions for you. Um, And then uh, I think I sent them to you already, so we're good. All right. So uh, Catherine is a doctor. She's been serving during uh, COVID, like overtime, overtime. So thank you for your service in that. So first question, why did you choose to be a doctor? So, uh, you know, when you sent me that that question, I had to, I tried to find like a moment or... uh, a specific reason, but it's hard to find because I, since, you know, since I'm a kid, I've always dreamed to, to be a, a doctor, so it, it was part of uh, my goal when I was studying, but when I, um, uh, it's a sanitized mic. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. You can, you can lick it if you <laughs> so, want. Um, but uh, I, I say like you, a few years ago when I was 17 years old. So, uh, just a few years. <laughs> yeah, just a few years ago. I went to Peru for two months. 
Um, I was doing volunteer works at that time and working with women to, you know, kind of a public health program. And I, uh, it, I think it's at that time that I decided to to really use the opportunity we have in Canada for the, you know, the the studies and and the talent and the I would say like the the fact that it was pretty easy for me to study that to to decide to use it to serve others and to really uh, pursue a, a career as a as a doctor. So I would say like at that time it was very clear that God wanted to use me that way. That's awesome. So second question is, can you guys hear her okay through that? I mean, on the recording too? Can you hear her okay? Perfect. All right, so second question is, how does the compassion of God impact your life and your work? Yeah, so um, I think it's a, it's, it's a daily challenge to, um, to be filled with the compassion of God when you are in the field or in... Uh, a profession that you help people all the time. At one point, you you have this natural tendency to to kind of numb your feelings because you're exposed to people suffering every day. And I'm pretty sure that if you're in you know a caregiver, even like a parent or or a teacher, uh, a babysitter, you can at one point decide to kind of numb yourself because it's a, a self-protecting a way to do that. But as a Christian, if you want to be uh, an instrument, an instrument in the hands of God, like of, of love and truth, you cannot numb yourself like this. So, uh, so I, I realize over time that the only way to be able to face um, this suffering and not being yourself in you know, chronic anxiety or depression or burned out is to daily remind yourself that who you are in the eyes of, of God. And, you know, the way you did, you, you describe it this morning, like to always remind you of the gospel. I'm the one that is suffering in front of God. I'm the one that needed to be rescued. I'm the one that is needy every single day. And I have those emotions that needs to be, uh, I need to be reassured. I need to be forgiven. So, and this is like this gospel, this daily gospel is for me the, I would say, the medicine I need every day to be able to face uh, the suffering that you, you see in, in my profession, but also in different type of profession also. Yeah, I think you answered maybe the third question, but I'll ask it in case you want to add anything. How would you encourage others stay, to stay connected to the Spirit of God in very demanding yeah. locations? So I, I, I think as human, we try to to avoid the suffering. And for me, like my, my first reaction when times are hard is just either complain or to deny. And, and I realized over time that to face and to use this suffering is, uh, is uh, in fact, to, to embrace the suffering is often the, the way the spirit talks to us. And in the last, I would say maybe, Maybe two, three years, I, I started to enjoy uh, reading the psalm, which I never did before. I, I, and in reading the psalm, you can realize that your emotions are true, and you don't have to be ashamed of them. And the Spirit definitely can walk, can talk to you and walk through uh, those difficult times. And one of the psalms that I really like to go back is this Psalm 77 that... You, it's okay to have some doubts, and then the faithfulness of God is just always there. So, yeah. That is so good. Thank you so much for sharing. I really appreciate it.
This is more of what we want to do on a normal basis is how does what we're talking about actually integrate into real life and work uh, because it can't just be a faith that's distant out here and then we enter into real life. But how does this actually meet the ground?